It's a pretty cool theme song, isn't it? We all all remember. We just heard it. It's so good. True. But I love during the prison escape scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that scene shortly. Yeah. Yeah, so we so today we are going to be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, our G episode, directed by James Gunn. Yeah, everybody, welcome back to Al Film Bet. Uh, as you know, hopefully, uh, if you've listened to the previous episodes, I'm Alec and... I'm Sam. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, a Marvel Studios film. I think that if you don't know uh, what Marvel is by now and you are living not in Siberia, then... Uh, <laughs> it's a future podcast reference. Um, then uh, you must be living under a rock because how would you describe what Marvel has done to the film industry? <laughs> I think it's essentially taken over the superhero genre for the most part, and it, it's sort of become its own subgenre. So I, I know that even a few of the reviews that we have today, you just kind of have to talk about the wider MCU because it's such a huge thing now to find so many movies. I would say this movie, compared to other uh, Marvel movies, pretty standalone. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Incredibly unique visually, um, Mm -hmm. and I think has a lot going for it. I'm a pretty big fan of James Gunn, especially in this uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie and the Suicide Squad as well. That's the most recent DC film. Well, not the most recent DC. The most recent DC Suicide Squad film. (laughs) Yeah. It was like several years ago at this point. I did a uh, a video essay about it. Oh yeah, go watch that, everyone. <laughs> when when Peacemaker came out, yeah. Um, but I think that's just uh, a really fun, uh, exhilarating experience, similar to this film. Definitely an exhilarating experience. It's a lot of fun. It's very fast paced, easy to watch. Not not a ton there in terms of plot, but we can get into that before we get ahead of ourselves too much. I think we should jump right into the plot summary. Back in 1988, eight-year-old Peter Quill's mother passes away from cancer, uh, and unable to emotionally process the situation, he refuses to hold her hand as she dies. He runs outside of the hospital and is suddenly abducted by a tractor beam. 26 years later, Peter, jamming out to a classic rock song on his Walkman, raids a temple on a desolate planet and attempts to steal an artifact called the Orb, narrowly escaping an attack by Kree soldiers are working for a maniacal zealot named Ronan the Accuser, also going after the Orb. We find out that Peter has been abducted and raised by an eclectic group of alien criminals called the Ravagers, and he plans to betray their leader, Yondu, by selling the Orb himself. Yondu issues a bounty for his capture. Ronan, outraged by a recent peace treaty between his people, the Kree, and the Nova Empire, seeks to trade the Orb in exchange for the Titan, Thanos' annihilation of the planet Xandar. He sends Thanos' daughter Gamora, an assassin, to retrieve it from Quill. On Xandar, Quill's buyer backs out of the deal. Gamora ambushes him. Nearby bounty hunters Rocket Raccoon, who is a, a modified raccoon creature, and Gru, a tall tree-like alien, see Peter's bounty and try to capture him. During their skirmish, the four are arrested and imprisoned by the Nova Corps, who seems to be like the government-slash-peacekeeping forces right. on the planet of Xandar. Right. They're, they're kind of like the classic good guy government. Yeah. In a high-security prison, Gamora is hated by many other prisoners due to her association with Ronin. One of them, named Drax the Destroyer, whose wife and daughter were murdered by Ronin, tries to kill her. Quill convinces him that Gamora can be used as leverage to bring Ronin to him. Gamora reveals that she intended to betray Ronin and sell the orb to a third party. 
they all team up and escape the prison in Peter's ship. Arriving at an outpost located in a giant celestial head, the group waits to meet with Gamora's buyer, the Collector. While Peter and Gamora bond, Rocket and Drax drunkenly argue in a casino, leading to Drax impatiently sending a signal to Ronan hoping to fight and kill him. Not smart. Mm -mm. Meanwhile, the others meet with the Collector, who tells them about the Infinity Stone inside the orb, which grants its users immeasurable power if they have the strength to handle it. I believe this was uh, in the MCU timeline the first time that we figured out what Infinity Stones were. I think so. The Collector's overhearing slave grabs the stone, causing a massive explosion. Ronan arrives and defeats Drax while the others try to flee by ship. Nebula, Gamora's adopted sister, destroys her ship and leaves her to die in the vacuum of space. Ronan's forces capture the orb. Quill feels compelled to selflessly give Gamora his oxygen-yielding mask and alerts the Ravagers of their location. They quickly are retrieved by the Ravagers. Ronan realizes the power of the Infinity Stone and turns against Thanos, deciding to destroy Xandar himself with Nebula at his side. Quill convinces Yondu to spare his life by teaming up to steal the orb back from Ronin before he destroys Xandar and takes over the galaxy, provided the orb goes to the Ravagers. Rocket, Groot, and Drax attempt a poorly thought out rescue of Peter and Gamora, before also joining the Ravagers. Negotiating a truce with the Nova Corps, the soon-to-be Guardians of the Galaxy, manage to breach Ronin's ship, the Dark Aster, as it descends on Xandar. Gamora wins a fight with Nebula, the group is outmatched by the Infinity-powered Ronin, until Rocket crashes a ship into the wall. The Dark Aster crashes to the ground, and Groot sacrifices himself, creating a branch cocoon to shield his friends. Ronan survives the crash. Before he can deliver the final blow, Quill dances to distract him, and Drax and Rocket destroy his powered weapon. Peter manages to grab the Power Stone, and, unable to handle the burden of the stone, shares the burden with Gamora and the Guardians, flashing back to his mother on her deathbed, asking him to take her hand. They harness the stone's power and destroy Ronan. Afterwards, Peter gives Yondu the orb, later revealed to be fake, with the real Power Stone being secured by the Nova Corps. As he departs, Yondu and his right-hand man, Kraglin, sarcastically comment that it's good they didn't deliver Peter to his asshole father like they were hired to do. The Nova Corps illuminate the newly formed Guardian of the Galaxy's collective criminal records for their service, and Peter learns that his father is an ancient being. Peter finally opens up the present he received from his mother at the beginning of the film, finding it to be a new cassette tape called Awesome Mix Volume 2. Groot is revealed to be born anew as an infant, growing from one of Groot's branches, deciding to do a bit of both, good and bad. The Guardians embark in Quill's ship. They did a little both, although I think yeah. it ends up being more good than bad. <laughs> but yeah. I guess that's just yeah. how they like, like over time, characters that are presented as like anti heroes, like anti heroes, end up just being heroes. Like that's just kind of inevitable. That does seem to be the trend. I don't know though. I mean, they're not the uh, kindest, sweetest. Uh, individuals in the world they're true for the most part very self-interested um right but i mean, I mean yeah but the arc of the movie is them learning to be more selfless and right. more heroic yeah i mean I, I haven't seen volume three yet so i'm not sure how their story ends but uh yeah no, no no spoilers right um well that movie's been out for a while i don't know what our policy is on like talking about movies that are related to the movie we're talking about it's basically if, if one of us hasn't seen it no, that is what the policy is. Because um, I was just going to ask if you think that, uh, that in, in, in volume two, if they're, uh, if they're more heroic. Well, obviously they're more heroic. But if, if any element of their uh, questionable morals is still evident. 
because yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a while. I'm just going to say. Uh, I mean, honestly, I feel like their their interests in Volume Two are actually less self interested because the second movie is really about his father and ultimately killing his father, whereas yeah. this movie is about getting the Power Stone secured. And they they make a very selfless decision to not keep the Power Stone or sell the Power Stone. They give it to the Nova Corps. So that in itself is a very selfless decision. So I feel like their motives are less self-interested in this. There's always a a personal element to it, like an emotional core underlining all of the movies. For for, for this one, largely, it's Peter Quill's story. Yeah, Uh, he's the main character. So, And I think the second one, maybe more of a two-hander emotionally between Peter and, and Rocket's character, from what I can remember. Whereas the third one pretty much is entirely Rocket's character. Really? So okay. I wonder in that sense if, as far as being the, I guess, emotional protagonist of the movie, I wonder mm. if the real s- emotional arc of these movies is just slowly switching from Peter to to Rocket. To Rocket. Yeah, maybe. Do you want to talk a little bit about the visual language and the cinematography? I know we were talking a little bit uh, before this, and you mentioned that you found it to be a little flat. I, I guess I understand where you're coming from in the sense that Marvel cinematography has become very standardized. And why don't you explain where you're coming from? Because I think this movie has some very unique and, and innovative visuals, at least for a modern blockbuster. Yeah, so I, the reason I said it was flat was because I, I felt like there were definitely some uh, really cool, colorful, just incredibly unique set pieces that yeah. are pretty ingenious, I think. I think that's a great word for it. But it's like an explosion of creativity. I right, thought. it is. But I, I just usually the way it's shot is just it's. I feel like they innovated in a lot of ways, but not in the in the individual like shots, like the action scenes. I don't. I don't think were anything special. I would agree um, with that. I actually think James Gunn has steadily improved with his, improved. his, with his ability to yeah, direct yeah, action. Suicide Squad, I think, has great fighting scenes. But anyway, definitely. Um, anytime we were looking at something that's not a set piece that was intended to be super cool, right. there's really nothing interesting about the that's, shots in between them. That's interesting. I think it would be important to bring up here that uh, this is James Gunn's first time directing anything of this scale. Uh, I think he came from, I mean, he definitely came from a low-budget background, making, you know, low-budget horror films, Mm -hmm. um, but always, like, pushing the envelope in terms of of dark humor and themes, which actually, despite this being a superhero film, PG-13, designed for both adults and younger kids right i think it works to an extent this movie has some pretty dark elements in it i think we were uh i think we noticed like a good amount of swearing the uh, um i mean nothing super intense obviously but uh, yeah definitely some suggestive jokes in there very suggestive jokes <laughs> like i don't even know for some of them i don't even know uh to the extent that i want to talk about them on this podcast because <laughs> i know for like apple and whatever we had to put that we're for kids Oh, okay. Like, so I don't know if we should elaborate on some of the Im- implications of this movie, but right. in, in that sense, I I think it's a great example of um of a movie you might watch when you're a kid. We, we watched this movie when we were well, I did when I was twelve years old. Yeah, it I, came out in I didn't watch it until I was like seventeen. Uh, so some of the humor, I think, if you've seen this movie, you might know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, just completely went over my head as a kid, and yeah. then watching it now, I, I so. have a, a a greater appreciation for it. And that's that's just. That's James Gunn for you. This is definitely tame for him, seeing how far he can go. I remember when, I think it was yeah, either when Peacemaker or the Suicide Squad was being advertised, uh, the tagline would always be, like, from the twisted mind of James Gunn. Because <laughs> I guess it, it's pretty twisted. well known that he's this very extravagant... Dark humor. Dark humor filmmaker, so they were really leaning into that. 
building off that i this is yes it's a it's a superhero movie but every like plot beat in the script it's like it's advanced with with humor it's, it's not just a an action movie with a lot of jokes it's this is almost a comedy it is I, it's an action comedy yeah a criticism not just of of james gunn's work but also marvel movies in general which i think after this movie came out marvel definitely switched directions tonally i think and that what, the success of this movie actually led to humor being a a much bigger part of their of their formula yeah i which is interesting i i i, I could definitely see how that that's changed and i can never trace it down to a specific point though so i think that's a great point that i think it is that, that because it's... this movie came out in 2014 before it was yeah. just the phase phase one right, right? I, that's what they call I think, it yeah i think you're right i'm just saying that that's um, that's, that's a great point because um, this so, was so successful that's interesting uh, but uh, obviously a common criticism of, of these superhero movies is that they don't allow those emotional moments to linger and they undercut them with uh, juvenile humor at times. Right. I don't. I actually think that for this Guardians of the Galaxy movie, at least, pretty much every joke works as well as the dramatic moments. I don't think uh-huh. that either one undercuts the other, right. which is I, a I really tricky balance to pull off. Yeah. Definitely. This definitely handles it a lot better than the attempted humor of other MCU movies, for sure. And I would go as far to say, from my memory of, of Volume 2 and even Volume 3, that that element is superior in this film. But I, really? I'd have, I, to, I'd have I, to rewatch this. I, I, would, I think I'd just agree with that. Yeah. Because I, I think Volume 2 is funnier. Also relating to the, the way the sets are designed, there's a lot of 1980s influence. Because obviously the last time Peter was on Earth, yeah, that's it was definitely 1988. Why. Very much... Along with Stranger Things, I don't know when that first season came out. 2016. It was 2016. Uh, I think maybe this and, and that was a, a great one-two punch in terms of bringing 80s nostalgia full force back into uh, pop culture today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also both specifically choosing and, and revitalizing music from that period mm-hmm. and then blowing it up in pop culture. Right. Um, and maybe you could argue the, uh, the first It film as well. Yeah, I think you could definitely argue that, the 2017 version. The music in this film is mm-hmm. a massive part of its unique identity as a blockbuster. Yeah, um, must have cost a lot of money to get I, those songs. We had a little bit of an argument about what the most uh, iconic and identifiable piece of music in this movie uh, in association with the Guardians brand is. Mm-hmm. I, I, For some reason, I thought it was uh, Hooked on a Feeling. Right, and I said it was "Come and Get Your Love" from the first scene, right, or from the first uh, musical scene. Uh, so that will almost definitely be our poll at the end, <laughs> yeah. our Spotify poll. Yeah, seventies and eighties, I think soundtrack. I'm pretty sure "Come and Get Your Love" is a seventies song. Really? Okay, yeah, just from that from that general era. The score, I think, is also above average for Marvel movies. Yeah, uh, I think it's I, I think it's very catchy and. Uh, and also instantly identifiable. But the, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the awesome mix idea is uh, very much a part of this of this movie's identity and, and popularity. Right, and, and the Walkman serves as a plot device in several cases. Yeah. Uh, and to connect that as we uh, move into talking about the, the plot, music is also so relevant because Peter uh, himself still has that cassette tape that his mom gave him. He uses that to to cope with the, the loss of his mother. All of a sudden, he's in space, and the only connection he has, not only to his mother, but to Earth and his home, is this Walkman. Yes. So it's pretty clear why he's always listening to music, and it's why that that gift at the end of the second cassette tape is like, I, I cannot imagine a better gift to get. 
you know, because it's, it's more songs from Earth that he hasn't heard in, what, 30 years? Yeah. And at that point, he's, by opening that gift, he's, uh, I guess, completing his character arc and that he's finally coping with his, his mother's uh, passing. Uh, that was actually the, the major thing that I noticed on this uh, watch that I thought was the most interesting mm-hmm. was how music tied in with his character, with right. Peter Quill's character, uh, Journey. In a sense, that's what the, the, the movie is uh, about. I thought, mm-hmm. we, weirdly, similar to Asteroid City, a movie that we talked about <laughs> earlier. Episode one. Episode one. Um, it's about a, a bunch of lost souls, each dealing with their individual traumas. Um, I think Rocket says everybody's got dead people. Mm-hmm. Peter Quill uses music to literally not have to, to connect. Uh, but the movie is about him learning to open up and connect with other people, hence the hand-holding motif uh, right. at the beginning and then again at the end with with literally needing to hold his new friend's hands to, to win. Yeah, um, yeah that, that's a great like connection. And that's a good point you make where Asteroid City is sort of similar uh, in the sense that there are these people who, who are, are unlikely friends, but they team up to uh, help confront their pasts. And, uh, and to help each other grieve. Yeah, too. yeah. I th- I found that to be the major theme of the film because the the unlikely group of friends is such a classic trope, but the the fact that you're sort of fueling that with trauma and grief that makes it a little more interesting. I think that emotional undercurrent really worked. I think that, like we were talking about, they don't uh, they're they're not afraid to sit in the the, the sentiment of it uh, right. at times, which I think actually is to the movie's uh benefit. Yeah, like uh, that shot of Drax petting rocket at the end right yeah a lot of like yeah and those moments are when there are wholesome moments there's so much like more shocking but also wholesome because we've seen how hard the exteriors of the characters can be so when you unlock these softer moments it's really nice yeah i really like that um because these are people that you would totally expect to to be loners in a sense yeah um but somehow they they are learning to open up and uh cooperate with one another for the greater good which may seem simplistic, but uh, I, I feel like it fits. I feel yeah, like it works. works. It definitely works. And starting a, a Marvel movie with the scene of a, of a kid's mom dying of cancer, I feel like that, that's such a, a an insane way to start a Marvel movie. And that, that probably got audiences gripped right from the start. Yeah. <laughs> or at least surprised. Or like questioning, like, did I walk into a Marvel movie? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Especially at the time. I'm actually glad that out of all the superhero films that we could have chosen to talk about, because of our format, I'm glad that we got to talk about this film. Because I, I really do think that out of uh, modern superhero blockbusters, it's it's up there. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's top the tier uh, for reasons that I'm sure we're about to get into. I think that it's one of the better ones. And I I believe it's in my uh, top five of the Marvel films that, that I've seen. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I know we disagree about this. I do think I do think this film, uh, again, need to rewatch the second two works the best for me out of the three Guardians films. Okay, that's uh, fair enough. In terms of the way that uh, the characters are written and also in the pacing. Mm-hmm. I really like the script for this movie. I think that a lot of the dialogue is just, it, it really helps to give the movie this, uh, such a unique sense of style and uh, and, and liveliness that we, we talked about and, and identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's super quotable. Yeah, definitely. I've kind of been quoting it all day, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just r- really well uh, structured. 
just at a, from a basic storytelling perspective. Right. I mean, to be fair, it is a relatively simple story. It is, but it's also, I think it's effective. And even like individual scenes are just really, yeah, very, very well constructed. I like, I like the dramatic irony uh, of, of, um, you know, Groot pulling the, I guess that this is more of a, a facet of humor, but, uh, you know, when Groot was like grabbing the battery, Rocket was explaining why they needed to get it last. Yeah, that, that is a funny, a funny little sequence there. Yeah, just another, just one of the uh, many great little sequences here. Yeah, I, I agree that there are some very beautiful moments and emotional beats. But just like I was saying, I think that overall, if you stand back and look at the plot, it's not anything revolutionary i think the only reason that this is a famous movie is because well of, of because of the a few scenes here and there but also because of this uh you know great casting great acting uh some really iconic dialogue and lines like you said it's a, it's well written visual um yeah pretty nice visuals the the villain arc is i think we can agree is the most basic part of it, it it's it's he's a sort of very two-dimensional yeah, i don't know how we haven't talked about that yet um, um lee pace is not a bad actor he was in uh, Bodies, 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 the A24 uh, like murder mystery comedy recently, mm-hmm. and he's hilarious in that film. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was going on here. <laughs> I mean, this was earlier in his career, so yeah, this was like when he was still in the Hobbit films. So I don't know. This was he's better in those movies. He's got more of a uh, more of a character. And like I said, it's kind of hard to play. Not hard, but it's harder to play such a not great uh, villain. One so I think with the fact that we both agreed that the villain thing is generic. It's just a testament to how good the other parts are. Yeah. And because the fact that we don't like the villain arc, but we like the movie as a whole, really shows how, how strong the, the comedy and That's uh, a good point. characters are. Even down to the the, the production design for, uh, you know, for, for the vi- the villain's lair and his ship. The throne. And, <laughs> and the throne. Could not have been more uh, generic right. sci-fi. And then like the hologram face of Thanos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> The movie does a good job, I think, of creating a, a unique identity and, and differentiating itself from something like Star Wars, which is the obvious comparison here, I think. Mm, yeah. You don't think so? You mean in terms of what? In terms of it being a, a space opera with right. uh, heroes right. and villains. and Yeah. It's... There's not a whole lot of examples of mega blockbuster space operas Yeah, that true. I can think of. Yeah, the antagonist element uh, does not does not work on that front. Darth Vader is much better than Ronan. I think we can both agree on. Yeah, he is. You you said that um, elements of this film were, were genius. I think that the casting is genius. Yeah. There's no, no one that could have played uh, Peter Quill better than Chris Pratt. <laughs> True. He's uh, so lovable in his uh, mischievousness and uh, ambiguous morality. He's great. He's hilarious in this film. I mean, it was, it's a star-making turn from him. Yeah, his also, biggest role prior to this was in Parks and Recreation, and he had to go through right. an entire physical transformation to to be in this film, famously. Yeah, yeah. And totally reinvented his career. I think that now we can agree he's... Uh, I mean, he's still in these big blockbusters. I think he did Jurassic World yep. for a few years, um, and he's still in Marvel movies to an extent. But uh, he's sort of, his career has sort of transferred into the anim voiceover world, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, very unexpected. Um, which a lot of people have sort of made fun of. Yeah, I think I think his his first role was the Lego Movie, playing Emmett, or his at least or one role? of his first right. animated uh, voiceover roles. Uh, also, Dave Bautista is so good. I this. I think Dave Bautista is is one of if not the best uh, of the wrestler turned actors. Right, because he was in uh, M Night Shyamalan's. 
Shyamalan's the most Shyamalan's. newest film. And uh, he's a big Denis Villeneuve guy now, too. He's in Dune. Oh, yeah. He's got a small role in Dune. Right. I, I kind of hope that he gets more to do in the, the new one, part two. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but he fully embodies his character. That's another character that wouldn't be wouldn't be the same without yeah. Dave Bautista. Bradley Cooper as Rocket. Yeah, he's great. Yes. He and Vin Diesel as Groot. <laughs> one of the most ridiculous casting I, I i never uh googled this but i wonder how much he made for these films a lot of money basically uh for infamously saying a single line i am groot well two lines actually and then we are groot although i do think he did his uh, all the dubs as well so he said yo soy uh, yo soy groot right he did all the different dubs i'm pretty sure he did that also a great use of john c Riley. i will say i think that's good casting yeah and then of course the last of the main cast zoe saldana Right, she she's she's really good in what she's given to do. Yeah, I, I think she's she's very good in this role. Um, she's good. It's not the most flashy role, but she does a right. good job with with what it is. And I think the chemistry between her and Peter Quill, between Gamora and Peter Quill, worked very well. You think so? I actually don't think that's the strongest element of these films. I think may, maybe, really, from I, a personal perspective, I don't know if I find Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana to have the greatest chemistry. At least in their interactions in these movies, I don't know why. Really? All right. I, you disagree, but I, I, it's been a while since I've seen Volume Two, so that's when they really get started. Um, yeah. But I, I remember it. I remember liking their chemistry. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think she's a very talented actress. Famously, I think has the, is the actor that's been in the most highest-grossing films of all time. Avatar. And Star Trek. Oh, and Star Trek. Yeah. I, I thought you meant Avatar One and Two. When you said two. yes, Avatar One Two. Oh, and all the Guardians movies, Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame. Oh, you're going, yeah, okay, you're going uh, down the list. And um, and also uh, at least one or two Star Trek films. Really? Okay. Nice. So she's in like ten of the highest grossest movies. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, very funny. Yeah. Not in major roles either, except for in Avatar. Mm-hmm. Well, Gamora is pretty major. I think she's arguably a supporting character <laughs> a yeah. lot of the time, even though she's the female lead. I kind of wish that they developed her character a little bit more in these That's films. Fair. Yeah. They're always talking about um, about her like backstory with Thanos and, and Nebula and her abu- his abuse of them. You're saying but, people want to see that? But we don't see it. And I also... Well, we see her get adopted by him. In, in Infinity War. Yeah, that's a good point. I just... Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe more flashbacks would have helped in that, in that capacity. I'm not sure. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Now we're gonna get into just a, a summary of our overall thoughts on the movie and yeah. just our, whether we liked it and or didn't like it. So overall, my opinions on this movie were like I was saying that there's a lot of great scenes, great character interactions, uh, and the dialogue alone makes this honestly worth the watch. But I, I just I think that overall, if you look at the plot, it, it's just not super strong. The villain isn't strong, which is a pretty important part. And I think this would be interesting and entertaining in play form like written for the stage just because expand on this because sort of i feel like the the strongest points are when we have the full ensemble of the guardians yeah on the screen and they're like talking yelling at each other right. calling each other names interacting i feel like that would be a really funny play they have and, such great interactions yeah so i feel like the fact that that's the core of the movie would make it a good play adaptation that's a really interesting point um i i would totally agree that as great as a lot of the Special effects work is, and uh, as well as the practical stuff, the production design, costume design, mm-hmm. it really is the dynamic between those five characters yeah. that 
makes this makes this film series as awesome as it is. There's a little bit of a side note, but I remember like the most when they, the Infinity War trailer came out, the thing that got me the most excited was when they showed the Guardians at the end, which I guess <laughs> is a testament to how great these characters are. Yeah, I remember everyone being so excited for that. Uh, for that cross, crossover event. Yeah. But this is, is not an Infinity War Endgame podcast. True. <laughs> um, that's a really interesting point, and I could see it working. It. I mean, a lot of these uh, companies are putting lots of money in, into stage plays at this point. I mean, Warner Brothers and, and the Harry Potter thing. Yeah, Back to the Future is on Broadway right now. Um, Stranger Things, I think, has one yeah. coming out. Yeah. So it's it, it's a big moneymaker, and I could see that, that working. I know that I know that they've tried to um, integrate the property into the theme parks to a large extent. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's massive. They like reskinned Tower of Terror to be like a Guardians of the Galaxy ride. I don't right. think I have not been uh, down to to Disney World since they did that. But, right. Um, yeah. Me neither. But yeah, you can you can see how big of a property this is, and I th- I really think it comes down to uh, the chemistry between the the five characters and also the cleverness of the dialogue. Yeah. I think I was saying when we were watching uh, that that's the tw- the famous twelve percent scene before the third act of this movie. How much how much of a plan do you have? Twelve uh, percent. Yeah. That's maybe the most pure guardian scene, and it's just them sitting in a circle talking. So I fully understand where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. Positive thoughts on this movie, but nothing uh, revolutionary. Yeah, I mean, I, as I was talking about, I think that I I really do rewatching this think it's one of the high points in in Marvel's filmography. It's not like tippity top but i think it might be like four or five to me um i'm not as big of a marvel fan as i i was back in the day but i think that there there are some genuinely interesting uh thematically and emotionally films in there this is not a marvel studios pod well i guess it actually is i like black panther i like guardians of the galaxy the first one and i like infinity war and endgame really and uh i I think spider-man homecoming is underrated really i really really adore michael keaton's performance in that movie yeah i i think my top three have to be you know i think spider-man homecoming would be at the top for me whoa and then, so you're also a homecoming uh, yeah, fan yes that's crazy that's funny you said that i didn't know that um also i really like you know I, my friend jack love that movie. i like i like endgame a lot i think black panther even though a lot of people criticize uh, the cgi in that movie has the most interesting thematic through line out of all of the films, but that's just because Ryan Coogler is an interesting filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's always going to be a solid movie. Yeah, it, it, this is just such a confidently made movie. I think yeah. is the word that I would use. That's a good word. Um, between the insanely creative and detailed production design, uh, which I think does a large part in helping to to sell this movie's world. I think the world is relatively fully realized. Uh, at least to an extent, and yeah. I think the the visuals are are a big part of that. Um, the quick, efficient pacing, I would say, and the camera movement, uh, which is just this filmmaking style that I think Gunn has continued to to refine and improve after this, mm-hmm. as well as other things, the, the blend of humor and emotional backbone of the of the story, like we discussed. Uh, great casting, use of music, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on. Uh, I feel like. If you can look past the, the genericness, uh, or at least underexplored <laughs> villain subplot, uh-huh. um, I think this might be the most uh, successful large-scale cinematic space opera of sorts since Star Wars. Okay, I was waiting for that. Since, since Star, Star Wars. since Star Wars, like modern cinematic space right. opera until The Force Awakens came out. 
you can have that opinion. <laughs> no, I think I, I think I, I think agree. All, I think all three of the sequel trilogy is better than this movie. Okay, I'm gonna re. That's so wrong. <laughs> this movie might be on par or just under the Last Jedi. Okay, but the the best the best MCU movie is still worse than the worst Star Wars movie. I'm just putting it. You were such a big fan of Star Wars. That's insane. <laughs> That's a crazy take. Do you want me to leave that in there? Maybe I'm editing it. That's crazy. I I want to revive my statement to say. The best large-scale cinematic space opera other than Star Wars. With the maybe recent exception of the Dune films. I just, I, I enjoy this film for what it is. I think it's a, a, a great watch. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is an entertaining, what, two hours or so. Yeah, and and also is is interesting. Like, it's not just fun to watch because of the uh, stylistic elements. There's right. also s- stuff going on under the surface. Yeah. Which I think... It definitely elevates it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as usual, we want to take a glance at other reviews that we found on the internet um, and sort of give our opinions on them. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of expands our conversation on the movie. So we like to do it. So the first one is from Blaine Lamada, who rated it four and a half out of five stars, uh, who says, I am Groot. I'm still trying to wipe this goddamn silly grin off my face. James Gunn, you weird little genius, you. I'd put this up with the Avengers and the original Iron Man. There is more personality in this film than most summer blockbusters ever dream of. I am grouped. Yeah, I love that he used the word personality because that's mm-hmm. that's definitely what this film creates. It's uh, definitely a, a unique tone. Yeah, and I also want to point out the summer blockbuster thing. Like, I didn't see this in theaters in 2014. I think you did. I but did. Just... Thinking of this as like something that you just go to the movies to see, I, I think that would be so incredibly satisfying because it's I, so much fun. I saw this film twice during its original run. I can't believe I remember that. I was 12 years old, uh, <laughs> but I, I know that the the reaction in the in the theater was was electric to the right. to the all, all the story uh, story beats and the humor. Mm-hmm. Um, you were saying that it was constant laughter, right? Pretty much. I think from what I can remember, which is just like glimpses, almost a decade ago, I think every joke landed i don't know when i was watching the movie i was like somehow flashing back and getting like impressions of of the experience and i'm pretty sure there was a lot of uh positive reactions to the humor in this movie but yeah like like he was saying it was uh it was a smash hit <laughs> and really different from not only previous marvel movies but also uh anything that that, that we'd seen in, in the blockbuster realm for years i'm surprised spielberg didn't spielberg couldn't have directed this movie it's james gunn's like baby yeah true it's guardians is not guardians without james gunn yeah this is from loafed king who gave it two and a half stars they said damn y'all are gonna hate me for this but not as fun as i remembered it but at the same time i didn't even remember thanos being in it or the main antagonist ronin but that's par for the course with marvel villains at this point the thing that was super surprising on rewatch was realizing how one note the ensemble is a laissez-faire womanizer outlaw, a small funny guy, a big guy with anger issues, and a woman, because why give her any other trait? Yeah. At least there's Groot. Vin Diesel's best performance, easily. (laughs) I don't know. After getting accustomed to the MCU formula, it just feels like the exact same with a little more gloss over it. And the fact is chock full with needle drops and pop culture references, including a tongue-in-cheek attempt of of self-awareness by mentioning the Maltese Falcon when mentioning one of the Kool-Aid Stones, and it just feels so pandering. The humor and action is hit and miss, and the sentimental moments do nothing for me. I am Groot, and this is not my thing. 
I, I, I definitely get where they're coming from. I was going to say, that's one of the negative reviews where I feel like they substantiated enough where I'm like, yeah, I can I can understand every single one of those points. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if even I Even though with. I don't fully agree with them. I yeah, think he, he's being overly negative. Yeah, me too. The point that the characters are not necessarily one-dimensional, but like archetypes. Well, I think he's saying they're one-dimensional. Yeah. I don't agree with that. I think looking at most popular uh, blockbusters throughout history, it's not like you're you're going to see the most complex characters. Right. True. Um, I think because they want uh, them to connect with the most amount of people, so it makes a lot of money. I think, Maybe. I think that's part of it. But you're not going to see, like, indie-level character development. I know that's not exactly what he's saying, but I, it's a point that I wanted to make. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of what he's saying. I, I, I did mention that I thought Gamora was underdeveloped, which I thought was unfortunate. Yeah. I, don't, I yeah. honestly don't think she was ever developed enough to the extent that Zoe Saldana deserved. Or the mm-hmm. movie, honestly. But, yeah, I, yeah. Agree, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and I also sort of get where they're coming from with the... It feels the exact same as any other MCU movie, like the MCU formula thing. That, I, I think, once again, looking at the overall plot, it, it, it is okay. a little bit... It does sort of follow the same story beats as most movies with the big bad villain in it. So, But I, I think what it does in between, like I said, is yeah. very unique, and that's what makes it good. Okay. Okay. Just from a pure plot perspective, then. Yeah. I guess so. I think it's also, I mean, like we addressed... The MCU has sort of morphed to become more like Guardians of the Galaxy, more mm-hmm. than Guardians of the Galaxy was like what came before it, in my opinion. Right. Okay. But obviously, it has the same like three act, like basic three act structure. It's a superhero film. Like what those films are, a formula. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be more than the formula. But like, what's a superhero movie gonna be if they don't defeat the super the villain at the end? I don't know. I don't know. Patrick Willems, who uh, is a YouTuber, I think, hmm. uh, rated a four stars, who said, look, I've been re- rewatching the whole MCU, and the upgrade in style and personality with this movie is unreal, um, which is exactly what we've been saying. Yeah, definitely very visually interesting. Yeah, and a massive step up from, I think, for the most part, what came before it. Yeah. Now moving into critic reviews, first from Alan Almakar with The MacGuffin. He says... Gun knows not to take the material too seriously, that a fun space adventure such as this should be exactly that, fun and adventurous, which it definitely is. Yeah, that that's exactly right. I think that's very true, especially connecting back to the, the thing I said earlier about how many of the story beats are just jokes that are used to advance the plot. So the fact that those feel normal and in place, is a, I think, is a testament to the fact that James Gunn is successfully making this a fun and adventurous movie. So from uh, Sedant Alaka from Slash Film, the film marked Marvel Studios going full-on Marvel Comics, bringing it with the requisite band of multicolored misfits whose intersecting character arcs, while occasionally incomplete, formed an alluring tapestry. I assume this must be from uh, from the time. I, I guess most of these must be from 2014 when it came out. That wasn't that long ago. Actually, most of these are fairly recent. Really? It's just it's an interesting uh, crit- criticism that the... The character arcs are incomplete in a ongoing franchise. Right. But um, yeah, good point. But I guess, I guess there's an argument that if a character arc is started, there should be some sort of resolution. I just, right. I just wonder. Even in a standalone. I just in a standalone film, but I just wonder who they're referring to. Yeah, I don't know. Not Peter Quill. Maybe Rocket. Maybe Rocket. Maybe, maybe Gamora. Her character may have had the least development. It's just interesting. Interesting point. This is from Bernard Boo. 
with way too indie. Gunn does a great job of preserving his wacky indie sensibilities and incorporating them seamlessly into a giant, crowd-pleasing blockbuster film, a feat that takes more finesse than his trauma boy resume may lead you to believe he's capable of. The James Gunness is definitely with this movie, and I think several of the reviews, we, several of the reviews we just read, have referenced him, and so I think that's very clear that he has a, a very definitive good point style. Yeah, when every review is referencing the director, you know that the that that they have a strong influence on the style of the movie, which yeah. is admirable. Yes, definitely. As we've discussed in the past, with like Wes Anderson, for example. Mm-hmm. We never talked about how he uses one of those filmmakers that always uses the same actors. He's a little bit like yeah, Wes Anderson in that sense, actually. Because Michael Rooker is in like all of his movies. Yondu's actor. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's a good actor. And now he's got more. Like his wife is always in his movies now. Uh, uh, Pete Davidson shows up a lot now. Now moving on to everyone's favorite segment. My favorite segment. I don't know about them, but... <laughs> yeah, words of the week. Would you like to start this week? I could start. Uh, my first word of the week, I think, is going to be gravity. Mm. Um, because it's, it's, a, it's a space film. I think in order to escape the prison, they have to turn off the gravity. Right. So that's why I popped it in my mind. Yeah. But yeah, there's also, uh, I think, when the movie needs it, that it does have a sense of sincerity and gravity that right. makes it uh, impactful. Right, and that's hard to do in a comedy. Yes. My first word is gags, because it's full of funny gags. For my second word, I went with uh, great, because I, I really do think this is a, a great film. Nice. My next word is Groot, because Groot within lines is mentioned 50 times in this movie. I'm Groot. I'm Groot, or we are Groot. We are Groot. Or someone's saying Groot's name. My third word is... I've said it several times now, uh, kind of uh, antithetical to my previous word, but generic. Uh, I used, you had that word, didn't you? Uh, in reference to the character of, of a Ronin and that entire uh, subplot, including the production nice. design. And, nice. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that word. I, I had that I had that one in mind as well. But my new third word is uh, glowing because they, they, they seem to like to play with light and in the important scenes like the well i guess you could use this to describe the way the the cast is together because i think they have, they have glowing performances but also because when the infinity stone whenever that explodes it's very glowing and purple then when groot makes the cocoon thing it's all those little glowing yellow lights uh also in a previous scene he does that too and i'm sure there there are other examples but there's the tractor room the first scene there, there, there's so many examples of uh, light being used as as a interesting visual aspect color yeah. colorful light yeah this is a incredibly colorful even like neon at points yeah maybe more so in volume two but yeah, there's a lot of so. crazy visuals in that one yeah um but yeah that's a good word my fourth word is going to be genuine uh i think that the, the emotional uh stakes are genuine which a lot of these big budget films can't pull off nice my fourth word is galaxy not only because it's in the title but because this is a space movie. I, there's a lot of space movies out there, but I think this does something very unique in its visual language and style. It feels like we're in a vibrant and gritty galaxy. Yeah, definitely. My final word is going to be grand because of the the massive scale <laughs> this movie operates on and uh, and uh, the grand sense of adventure. Uh, it's definitely a, a big, grand space opera. Right. 
Well, my final word is going to be very similar. It's glorious, uh, once again, because of the... I'm going to use your word to describe my word, because of the grandness of the of the movie. Yeah. And how just uh, big it is. Yeah. I think those are a good selection of words to describe this film. Thank you for listening to episode seven of our podcast. As always, if you'd like to contact us with any questions or recommendations, please do at alfilmbet at gmail.com. Also, if you're listening on mobile on Spotify, we have, we, have, we have a poll about the podcast and a question of whether or not you liked the movie. And if you're listening to this and you were like, oh, they should have said this word, obviously, just let us know and uh, we'll shout you out next time for words of the week. It's always fun when someone submits a word. Yeah. Next week, we're going to delve into what's arguably, I guess, a first, if you don't count End Day, which I don't count End Day, uh, the documentary genre with uh, Werner Herzog's, I, we'll talk about it, but I think under uh, underrated documentary project called Happy People, A Year in the Taiga. Definitely not one of his most popular films. Yeah, but still pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Sam. I'm Alec. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.